0: Hello! Welcome to the Cube. My name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical Lip Broke Gibberglist! Today my friends is Book Bow Wednesday. When you tell your friends, and I know you goddamn motherfucking will, about Book Bow Wednesday, you're really gonna wanna hit those bleeds, both in Book and Bow Wednesday. You kinda gonna wanna bulge your lips, lastly. buh, buh. You feel me? Yeah, you do. At the top of every show, I give a spoiler warning. This episode is no exception, for the reason I will spoil it. Take that. This Book Pro Wednesday episode, you have been spoiled, or will be eventually. I suppose all of that said, will take us into our last piece of podcast-related good news. Which is today's sponsor, which is Six Suns Lighting Store and Insane Asylum. Once again, today's sponsor is Six Suns Lighting Store and Insane Asylum. Thank you to whatever the hell that is for sponsoring, well, let's be frank here, whatever the hell this is. This Book Above Wednesday episode, in which I will be talking Nightfall. Uh, I don't know why I turned that into two words. It's just Nightfall. Not Nightfall, but rather Nightfall. Okay, let's not dwell on me screwing up the title of the book. Let's say this is a book by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberger. A double, a double authorship on one book. Now is that easier or harder, I always wonder easier because you got two people working, harder because you have to work with somebody else. On a book, which I always kind of think of as a very, very personal thing that you were putting out to the world, so you want to get your ideas in there, and potentially this other person going to be against some of your ideas, your your idea babies, if you will. In my looking, uh, this book starts with an interesting preface, uh, unlike any I'd really read before, Uh, let alone in a science fiction, and it's just about how this novel takes place on a planet that is not Earth, and yet everyone is speaking English and uh, using English words to describe uh, things within the world. And they point out sort of this fact, that we know that if the planet existed out there they wouldn't be speaking English. They would have different words and names for things, uh, and yet we decided not to do that. <laughs> I don't really know what the other option is. Oh, like uh, things like miles and seconds and, and, and measurements such as that. They've called them miles and seconds and days and, and what have you, rather than uh, whatever they would call them on this made-up planet. Uh, it's a very strange preface because I, I've never read anything like that in a fantasy or sci-fi or anything, for that matter, novel. I don't think it's really something that is warranted, per se. Yes? No? It was interesting, so I didn't mind it. But you don't need that, I don't think, at the beginning of every sci-fi book. Uh, this takes place on the planet Cal Calgash. This is a planet that is being constantly circled by six suns. Hmm, interesting. That's a lot of sun. Uh, For this reason, the planet never experiences true darkness at nighttime. However, once every just about 2,000 years, uh, there's sort of a cosmological event that means it does experience a nightfall, hence the title. And hence, well, the whole premise for the book. Yeah. The sentient human-like species that lives on this planet is so unused to darkness that the very word darkness is like saying, uh, I don't know, cunt. Ooh, yeah. It's a, it's a bad word. And there's even, for example, in this book, a psychologist who studies uh, the effects of darkness on people Because it's not even just a psychological, it's almost a physical reaction that the inhabitants of this planet can often have to darkness. Uh, For example, the book sort of starts out with this psychologist going to visit an amusement park in which there's a ride that takes the participants through uh, 15 minutes, which is a long goddamn ride, of uh, just pitch black darkness and people were coming out the other end uh, insane. Some even died. So it's nothing to laugh about. So you have that. Then you have a uh, an archaeologist who's been studying ancient ruins, and due to a, uh, a sandstorm, great sort of a great swath of this area was opened up that had never been seen before, and that let her see that just about every 200, sorry, 200, 2,000 years, there would be a civilization, and then a layer of fire. And then 2,000 years later, a civilization, and then a layer of fire. Going back 7 to 9 different 2,000 is. So, you know, we're kind of building towards something, aren't we? Mm. Uh, lastly, there's a astrologer not an astrologer. Astronomer? Yeah. On this planet they've just somewhat recently, within the past some odd decades, come up with what we would call Einstein's theory of general relativity, which can explain the movement of all these suns. However, there's sort of an anomaly. The anomaly which is there is something affecting the gravity of this planet that is not accounted for with just these six suns, which it turns out is a planet, a planet that cannot be seen because it's usually behind suns or too bright to see it or too far away. It's on a sort of very large elliptical 2,000 year orbit, which means every 2,000 years, and this is the the sort of cool sciencey part, there will be a period of time where there's just one sun in the sky. Now, that's dark, comparatively speaking, for this planet. However, this almost rogue planet uh, gets between this one remaining sun and this planet, causing an eclipse, uh, an eclipse that lasts basically all day. So all areas of the globe will experience this darkness for many, many hours, like six, eight hours, somewhere in that. Which basically means, when you boil everything down together, that this entire planet, all its currently normal, sentient, well reasoned, unwarlike inhabitants, will become insane. Insane! Some will die, some will become insane and uh, recover, some will become insane and never recover. So uh, this led me in a couple of directions thought-wise, and that was, is there anything human beings could have taken away from them or be exposed to that would not kill them, but would irreparably harm us as a species? Hmm. I couldn't really think of anything. Also, this always sort of book leads me into thinking uh, of apocalypses and... (laughs) what I think the most likely form our apocalypse will take. Uh, definitely I'm not going zombies, as, as, as romantic as the the thought of a zombie apocalypse is. Uh, no, I, I think the most likely is a uh, solar flare so large that it creates such a, an enormous electromagnetic pulse that it uh, wipes out all of our electronics, or virtually all of our electronics, sending us back to the Stone Age. Basically. That's uh, that's what I see as most likely. Okay. Uh, interesting things on this planet happening around this time is that eventually all the scientific types come to sort of put one and one and one together. They all, all, all the three, the three people I mentioned are actually working at the same university. Coincidentally. <coughs> and they all kind of puzzle it together which, with what's going to happen and try Underline try to warn the world uh, to prepare for this oncoming calamity. However, basically, no one believes them, which seems pretty ridiculous. Two reasons that people are not believing is, one, there's a reporter who's kind of poo-pooing everything, and the main reason, and even the reason the reporter is poo-pooing this idea, is that... This scientific discovery just so happens to perfectly coincide with a religious cult's uh, prophecies, let's call them, before the end of the world. Like, perfectly to the day, to the description, lining up. So people laugh at this cult for being, well, a cult. Uh, And now scientists are saying, you know what, this cult knows what it's talking about. And those two kind of things hand in hand mean people are not buying it. Eventually, the day rolls around. The scientists have done all they could to prepare for themselves and their families. The cult has been preparing for this for, you know, a very long time, up to 2,000 years. So they're ready to go. And then uh, the event happens. Shit. Shit hits the fan. Very, very... uh, Asimov and Silverberg here. Very, very well-described oncoming of chaos and insanity. I, I will say that very, very highly of both of these authors. And uh, something interesting was that there was darkness, of course, and uh, that freaked people out. But what sent people over the edge of madness was, in fact, the stars. Because people living on this globe had never seen stars. So they did... The scientists had a sort of hypothesis that out there in the rest of the universe, there might be six upwards of even a dozen stars in the sky <laughs> so when, when finally nightfall came and they were able to see they were just one in a wash of a friggin billion upon billion upon billion of stars within a giant universe it kind of snapped a lot of their brains which I guess it would so uh, from that point on uh, it sort of sets it up for a little post-apocalyptic action which as you know If you've listened to many of these podcasts, post-apocalyptic stuffs are quite often among my favorite. For example, uh, The Stand by Stephen King, one of my favorite books. Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, my two favorite video games of all time. Uh, TV, there's not too much in the way of post-apocalyptic TV and movies. Yeah, they're all good if they're post-apocalyptic as well. Usually of the zombie variety, those often take, I think... Anyways, back into the Book Wednesday, Uh, some of the scientists have escaped with their sanity, uh, although I think with all of them, it took a couple of days to sort of build back, build back that sanity. And there are crazy people everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there's crazies. And there's sort of different types as well. There's the kind that just sort of stand there mumbling to themselves. There's ones that... You can interact with and seem almost normal but then will snap at the drop of the hat and try to kill you then there's probably the most troublesome of all the crazies and uh, they are the fire starters Uh, because if you fear darkness and the returning of darkness and you want light and want light at all costs you're gonna set shit on fire so basically cities are burning the entire globe is on fire And that sort of explains those layers of uh, fire every 2,000 years that the archaeologist girl found. Uh, Speaking of that archaeologist girl, her name is... Yeah, no, do worry about it. Her name is Sephirim. Did I write it down? Sephira, Sephira. Her and the reporter, who felt very, very bad for telling everyone not to believe these scientists, sort of hooked up Little romanticism, I suppose you do. You have to have that in a book? Yeah, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. Uh, they end up together and have to journey to where all these scientists have uh, left and gathered together to rebuild society. Which, if you are unfamiliar with people or a person journeying from point A to point B through hostile lands, you know what you're going to call that? You're going to call that a goddamn quest. Man, I love a quest. I love a quest. And I love a lipsticks. A Pocopoca-lipsticks. So uh, combining them both, a post lipsticks quest, I'm going to be in pretty good um, brain space. Uh, they come across friends. They come across enemies. They eventually, and I suppose I can give it away because I want to, and it kind of... I don't know if I necessarily like the ending. And that was, uh, they come across that cult and the cult leader and decide, which I suppose is logical, that because they were the most prepared and are the only ones who have, like, things in place to, uh, I guess you could say, rebuild this world, that it would logically make the most sense for them. To join forces. So that, that's what they do. And that's basically where the book the book ends. With uh, the scientist folk and the cult folk heading towards reuniting with the purpose of rebuilding this, si- this society. And making sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Happily ever after? Mm, not exactly. Because they got a long road ahead of them and the world has destroyed fairly significantly so i don't know okay rating oh this is an extremely rare occurrence where i am done my talk and then i'm going to give my rating it's it almost never ever works out this way normally i just give it when i remember to give it because sometimes i forget to give it if i don't do it like that but i'm gonna give it to you now uh, I'm going to go four out of five. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't think I can give it a five out of five. It's not a perfect book for me, but I uh, did very, very much enjoy it and uh, would recommend it to people who like sci-fi, to people who like uh, alien civilizations, to people who like post-apocalyptics. Uh, To people who like a good quest, uh, the quest section isn't huge by any means, but it's there, it's there. Uh, General all-around goodness, thank you, Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg. Good guys. Folks, that will leave one final thing to say, which is always the final thing to say, which is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so by an email address mailward.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the